This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Hey, this is Joel Kamm, author of The Fun Formula, how curiosity, risk-taking, and serendipity can revolutionize how you work. And you are listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Let's have some fun. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, which was named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. My goal for this podcast is to help you discover the smartest ideas behind what's actually working in the quickly changing field of modern marketing and sales. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or some other helpful resource that I know of for whatever situation you find yourself in. Just connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction. This episode of the Marketing Book Podcast is sponsored by Content Marketing World 2018 in Cleveland this September. I'm going to be there. How about you? Content Marketing World is a wonderful event where you can learn and network with the best and brightest in the content marketing industry, including several authors who have been guests on the Marketing Book Podcast. I'm going to be leading the workshop Industrial Manufacturing, Applying Content Marketing Best Practices to the Challenging Audience of Engineers with my friend and past Marketing Book Podcast guest, Rebecca Geyer, author of Smart Marketing for Engineers, an Inbound Marketing Guide to Reaching Technical Audiences. For details, go to contentmarketingworld.com and for the absolute lowest price when you register, make sure to use the promo code Marketing Book and they'll knock one $100 off your ticket price. $100. Think about it. That's $100 you can spend buying both of his drinks once you get there and still have money left over. I'll have more details in a few minutes. And now, on with the show. Today, we welcome Joel Kamm back to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about his new book, The Fun Formula, How Curiosity, Risk-Taking, and Serendipity Can Revolutionize How You Work, published by Nelson Books. Joel Kamm is New York Times bestselling author, professional keynote speaker, social media marketing strategist, live video expert, technologist, brand influencer, futurist, and eternal 12-year-old. In his book, he says he's done everything online that's not illegal, immoral, or fattening. With more than two decades of experience harnessing the power of the web, publishing, social media, and mobile applications to expand reach and engage in active relationship marketing, Joel is a sought-after public speaker who leaves his audiences inspired, entertained, and armed with strategic tools to create highly effective new media campaigns. His latest serendipitous project is as co-host with Travis Wright, of the Bad Crypto Podcast, a top cryptocurrency show making the future of digital payments easy for others to understand. And interesting facts, he once sold Encyclopedia Britannica's door-to-door, and he later conceived of and hosted the first ever internet reality TV show, The Next Internet Millionaire, which included 
a past guest on the Marketing Book Podcast, Perry Marshall. Joel, congratulations on the fun formula, and welcome back to the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you, Doug. Appreciate that. And uh, we, we also share in common a name in that uh, I might have told you this last time I was on, but my middle name is Douglas. I did not know that. Yeah. I don't wow. really use it much. It's just kind of, you know, it just lingers there in between the Joel and the calm. But uh, yeah. Wow. Cool. Well, Joel, I, I, I loved your book. I'm so excited to have you back on the podcast. But I've just got to say that you know, you're, you're from Chicago, just like, uh, you're from Chicago land area. Yes. Just correct. like, uh, Perry Marshall. And, uh, so you may have heard of a movie called Ferris Bueller's Day Off. <laughs> that was actually my high school. Oh, was it really? Yeah. John Hughes went to Glenbrook North in Northbrook, Illinois. And the scene where his sister is outside the school and the kids are running track behind her, those green and gold uniforms they're wearing, that was the, the track that I had to, uh, to run around. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. Well, for that reason and the following, at the end of the movie, uh, his friend says, Ferris Bueller, you're my hero. And Joel Kamm, not just because you went to that high school, but also you're my hero because, amongst many other things, you are the inventor of the iFart app, which is an app on the phone. It's on my phone right now, just in case you're wondering. It was, uh, you, you hit it, it, it plays a wide variety of, of farts. My coworkers are, you know, really pretty irritated, but I think it's funny. And it's even been featured on the Today Show and the New York Times. And you said that in your book, you might one day have on your tombstone the fact that you created the iFart app. Tell us about that. Well, I'll, I'll leave it to my kids to decide what's um, you know, on the tombstone. But, you know, it, it might say, I farted. I don't know. Oh, well, there you go. It's uh, courtesy of the app. Uh, yeah, that was almost 10 years ago, Doug, that my team and I came up with the idea for iFart and just kind of on a lark. We just thought it was hysterical. And it's really an example of the fun formula in action because, Mm -hmm. you know, we decided to create something unique for the phone that we thought was fun. We decided to take a risk and we trusted the process. And with very minimal investment of both time and resources, we created something that went to number one in the world and made a bit of a stink. So I'll limit the puns to this one. <laughs> no, no, no! Please don't hold. Please don't hold back. Don't hold back. Don't hold it in. <laughs> ah, ah! I see what you did there. Okay, so Joel, how did you come to write this book? So the fun formula is my fifteenth book, and it is really my most personal book. Uh, the one I think is going to inspire and help the most people. Those who take the time to to read it, it's a really easy read. And you know, I'm really tired of the hustle and grind mentality that seems to be prevalent in today's culture, especially as the messages are being delivered to young people that are somehow buying into this idea that uh, you know having the lambo in your garage and the big house and stacks of cash and surrounded by beautiful people poolside is going to be what is most satisfying 
for them. You know, that all sounds good when you're 20 years old, but you know, I've made a lot of money. I've lost a lot of money. I know how to make money. And I can tell you with authority that that direction, that materialistic approach is not the answer to what most people are seeking. And the hustling grind mentality is actually dangerous. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe there are times where you have to work hard. Uh, In fact, you know, we were taught from previous generations that hard work is a virtue. And I believe that's true. But taking hard work and multiplying it 10x doesn't make it 10x more virtuous, right? There's there's no balance in that. And what the hustle and grind of you got to be up early, you got to work late while everybody else is, you know, having fun on the weekends. I'm in the office. I'm getting it done because I'm going to succeed. It's actually counterproductive. It's actually goes against what you're trying to accomplish because you're forcing something that isn't naturally supposed to be forced. Uh, you know, when we live through our passions and our natural curiosity and creativity and take risks and allow things to unfold, uh, I've discovered that the actual fun formula requires far less work. In other words, I look at the the unicorns in my life, and there's about six or seven times in my career that were really grand slams, you know, selling a site to Yahoo, the iFart application, the Bad Crypto Podcast, the reality show, New York Times bestseller. All of these things took the least amount of effort in work to happen. And the times that I spent grinding and hustling and working long hours, those things, if they succeeded at all, they were a moderate success, but more often than not, they didn't succeed succeed or they massively failed and and they caused more strife and problems in my business and in my personal relationships. And so the book, The Fun Formula, is a reverse engineering of a lifetime of successes and failures to discover that the bill of goods being sold by the hustle and grind crowd is just that. It's a bill of goods designed to profit those who are who see the appeal of the dollar and the so-called wealthy lifestyle dangled in front of them as is appealing. Mm-hmm. You write uh, related to that that our life leaves little breadcrumbs. Looking back, that that lead us to where we should go. And I want to ask you to explain what you mean when you say that people need to learn to trust those things that, as you say, light them up. Mm, Yeah, well, I think that, you know, we are designed with purpose in mind that I don't think any of us are here by accident. And, you know, our DNA is also unique and and everybody has unique value to bring to the world. And, you know, if we're just looking for ways to make money, we are ignoring who we really are. Uh, And I think when we discover what we're excited about and what we do best, that's also good. That's going to be the pathway to the success that we want to have. And uh, a lot of people just ignore that because they're just looking for a way to make a buck. And I think that, you know, denying yourself in that way is, is ultimately detrimental. It, it really is like tying one arm behind your back. It's like, you know, you're not, you, you may have fuel, but no oxygen, that, that type of thing. I want to ask you to explain what you say that the, the people who are the most fulfilled in life are often the ones who have truly learned to not care what other people think. Well, what makes you say that? 
Well, you know, I've been in those shoes where it mattered to me what other people thought. And the fact of the matter is you're never going to please everyone. I mean, you know, no matter who the president of the United States is, they rarely get more than 50 percent approval rating. So if the president doesn't require, you know, half the population to like him, why should I care what people, you know, think of me. It just, I'm going to do my thing. I, I do me and I do me better than anybody else. And so you do you, uh, you know, and, and if our goal is to do good stuff and to make a positive impact in the world and to bring value, then we need to trust, you know, each other that, hey, we're, we're all trying to get through this and do our best. And people who are extremely judgmental of, you know, who I am or what I say or what I do, they're just projecting, they're mirroring, they're uh, they're envious perhaps. They may be unhappy. They might be unhappy. And and I'm sorry for that. Uh, You know, go figure out what makes you happy, but don't look to others. It's the schoolyard bully mentality. People push other people down. In fact, I just wrote a post yesterday on Facebook um, about this. And I'm just, it's really short. I'll just read it. I say, we all know toxic people and social media brings them to the surface. They're easy to spot because they're always tearing others down publicly. And they're no different than schoolyard bullies who think they become bigger by pushing others down. They're characterized by dissatisfaction with their own lives and envy of others. It's sad, but their behavior is like a flashing red warning light saying something's wrong. The good news is you don't have to welcome those people into your world. Block and ban are a beautiful thing. I don't want anybody to be miserable or unhappy, but I'd rather let them swim in their own misery than allow them even a shred of space in my life. I think in one part of the book, and I don't have it open to that section, but you said something like that there's people that either take or give or something like that. Is it related, mm-hmm. it was related to time, wasn't it? Yeah. The, the people that either contribute or the t- people that, that suck the energy out. Well, I mean, it's kind of like when you go to an event, which, by the way, I think is the single greatest thing that anybody can do to grow their business. But, you know, you go to an event and people, they're selling you. They're, they're, they're just they're handing you their business card and telling you what they do without even qualifying, without even determining if what they do, you know, would be of value to you to even demonstrating that they care about, you know, you as a human being. I wrote two books called So What Do You Do? Discovering the Genius Next Door with one simple question because that question, so what do you do, is the most you know common icebreaker at events. And so many people will ask, so what do you do? And want the other person to hurry up and finish answering so they could tell you what they do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just, it's the wrong approach. And it's not how to to win people over. It's not how to get more business. You know, if we ask, so what do you do? You better lock in to what those people then tell you they do. You better ask questions about what problems they're having in their business and, and listen to the answers because you might discover that you have the problem to somebody's solution. And it's so much more effortless to take that approach than to try to go to an event and say, I've got to make some sales. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to sell, sell, sell. Oh, no, get away from me with that. People don't want that. That sounds like a book I I would like, which I haven't read because for a a different reason, I really don't like asking that question. It seems so (laughs) intrusive. What do you do? But let's let's change gears here, and let me ask you to explain something that I think was a great foundation for what followed in the book, which is, what is Joel's Law? Yeah, this is a page 15 of the book. What can change? 
will change, and change is good. Nothing ever stays the same. We are in a constant dynamic universe that we live in. And I can't tell you how many times I have, you know, seen revenue flow coming in in a portion of my business is thriving and it changes. It always does. <laughs> you know, nothing just continues as it is. So, you know, there's people that they start selling something online and they see money come in and then they immediately start staffing up or they buy the big house or they buy the fast car and then all, something changes in the Google algorithm. Right or in the, in the email rules or Facebook's uh, algorithm, Facebook or you know new legislation that changes a whole business model can be instantly disrupted overnight, and you have to be ready for these things. And this is why in my business, even though I've had a lot of success, I have never spent more than I brought in. Never. And, and since I started my business 23 years ago online, I have never gone in the red in spite of growing a staff of up to 38 people, in spite of being embezzled from and stolen from, in spite of, you know, lawsuits. I, you know, I always made sure that, you know what, nothing stays the same. Keep some uh, money on hand. Retain some of your assets because the only change that is guaranteed is that change itself. It's going to happen. Yeah, and you talk about how control is an illusion. It is. We like to think. I mean, we fight for control. We we struggle. We wrestle for control. And the actual control that we have is so minimal. You know, we can only control what's within our little sphere. And I don't care how much money you have. Your sphere is still little. There's 7 billion other people in the world that can impact the world around you. There is the universe itself. There are environmental factors. There are legislative factors. There, You don't have that much control. But understanding that and being able to release that and being okay with that actually frees you up to be more creative, more curious, take more risks because you understand that when you step up to the plate and swing, that's the only way you're going to hit the ball over, you know, the wall for the home run. And and if you're okay with taking risks and understanding that failure is just another step in your success journey, then you don't look as failure as this negative thing. It's very positive. I've learned way more from my failures than my successes. Yeah, I think there was one part where you talked about how failure is a is a mentor. Uh, it is. Failure teaches me more than anything. You know, when you, when you succeed, you're like, yay, I did it. Hooray. When you fail, you get to go, what went wrong? Well, how did I, how did I mess up? <laughs> and I think I heard from another uh, guy who's very, been very successful, Bill Gates, and he said something like early success or, or the lack of failure is one of the worst teachers for, for people that are you know starting out or, or, or for businesses because they <laughs> they uh, they're not learning uh, as much as they as they should let's go to another topic that's highly controversial and talked about all the time a little bit of uh, you know puncturing of the of the of the of the myth here you say that the idea of a work-life balance is a myth how yeah. so well, I do. I, you know, again, we live in a dynamic world and balance means things are standing still. And often we use the example of a teeter totter. Mm -hmm. Well, how, how fun is a balanced teeter totter? 
right? It's it's <laughs> yeah. just a plank of wood. It's not going up. It's not going down. It's just sitting there. It's it's static. It's not fun at all. And I don't think there's such thing as actually finding that balance. The pendulum has to swing. You know, here's the thing. When we're pro- applying the fun formula, work and, and personal life, they, they become one and the same in many ways. In fact, somebody once said, if you can tell the difference between your work and your play, you're doing one of them wrong uh, because what we do for a living should stem from who we are. And if, if that is indeed true, then we're going to be doing what we want to do, what we enjoy doing, what we love doing. Uh, and so my work is play. And it's always been, whether in, you know, uh, salad days, you know, things are exploding or whether in lean times, it's more important to me to have a lifestyle that means I'm excited when I get up in the morning because I'm living out my passions. I'm, I get to be curious. I get to play and do what I love to do. Some of the most unhappy people are those who separate their work and their life and they go and they put in their time but they really don't like what they're doing at all and it sucks the life out of them guess how that impacts you when you're home you know from work it it, you don't have much left or you spend decades serving the master of the american dream because you need the big house and the fancy car and you know you have to live in a certain neighborhood and people make choices that are counterproductive to what they ultimately want because if you're unhappy in the rest of your you know your life because of what your work is doing to you something's wrong we're going to take a break here so i can talk about one of my favorite things single malt scotch As I mentioned at the top of the show, this episode of the Marketing Book Podcast is sponsored by Content Marketing World 2018. I'm going back this September to Cleveland for this awesome conference, and I'm looking forward to meeting more of you just like I did last year. That was so much fun. I'm going to be doing a workshop with my friend and past Marketing Book Podcast guest, Rebecca Geyer, author of Smart Marketing for Engineers, an inbound marketing guide to reaching technical audiences. The workshop is Industrial Manufacturing, Applying Content Marketing Best Practices to the Challenging Audience of Engineers. If you're a manufacturing marketer and are able to attend, I just want to warn you, when this workshop is over, we may end up having to rush you to the emergency room at the Cleveland Clinic because you are going to be at risk of overdosing on so many awesome practical, actionable marketing insights that are going to grow your manufacturing business and boost your career. To get the absolute lowest price when you register, make sure to use the promo code MARKETINGBOOK and they'll knock another $100 off your ticket price. That's right. That's $100 you can then spend buying both of us drinks once you get there and still have money left over. But enough about that. Let's talk about scotch. If that rock bottom price to attend Content Marketing World isn't enough incentive, here's one more. When you register using promo code marketing book, there's also a bottle of scotch in it for me from the nice people at Content Marketing World. We're talking win-win here, people. But now let's say you can't attend Content Marketing World and you feel bad about that. Well, you can still send me a bottle of single malt scotch. Seriously. The mailing address is at marketingbookpodcast.com. Do it. 
But let's say you can attend Content Marketing World and you're thinking, well, Douglas, I like your podcast, but I'm just not yet ready to send you a bottle of scotch. But I would like to show my appreciation for what you're doing here. I've got you covered too. Here's what you do. First, pour yourself a drink. Have two. And then go to iTunes or Apple Podcast, as they call themselves now, and leave a one-sentence review for the Marketing Book Podcast. And then message me on LinkedIn and tell me which one is yours so I can raise a glass and toast your review and your good taste in podcasts. (laughs) And now, back to the show. I want to ask you something that is really very applicable to marketers and content marketers. When I read this, you were talking about something else, but I thought it was very, very much connected. And that's when you say that whenever people think they have nothing new to say, they may be missing the the true value they're able to bring. I'm sure you've met many companies who've said, well, we don't know what to create content about. We don't we don't know what to say. Can, can you explain what you mean when you you say that people who have nothing think they have nothing new to say, they may actually be missing out. Well, I think that, you know, if we're passionate about a subject matter, odds are we know something about that. And I think we always downplay what we know about something because we have somebody we look up to that we think, well, they know more and this has been said. But, you know, there's a a reason that a different fitness book is a bestseller, you know, every month or a diet book or whatever, because a lot of them are the same except for one element that you know stands out that differentiates that diet or that fitness program somebody's discovered something that works for them and they build their whole message around that well odds are you've got something unique in your message that you can say but you might not think it's important you might think that others what they have to say is more important and, and it probably scares you a little bit to suggest that this thing that you have to say would be significant but that thing that scares you is probably most likely your ace in the hole it's the thing you need to be saying that you need to put out there to differentiate yourself from the others and we can't be afraid to to stand out and do that and you know let the chips fall where they may you might be onto something that the world needs to know about or you might say something that turns out you know what maybe that wasn't a big deal what else i got mhm well now Joel Com, the listener may not realize, but this is also a diet book because you include the two things that you have to do to lose weight in this book. It's, it's just two things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, eat less, eat less, and exercise. Move your body more, basically. Oh, but the problem is you have to do that. Well, yeah, yeah. Always. I mean, it's, here's the thing. There's there's no magic, right? You can't just sit in your chair and go, "I'm going to lose weight," and uh, there you go. What about that pill that's going to let me lose a hundred pounds overnight? Yeah. Well, you didn't gain those hundred pounds by taking a pill, so I'm not sure that you know you're going to lose them by taking a pill. Don't. And it certainly didn't happen overnight. In fact, it's interesting because uh, a few years ago I lost a bunch of weight, and over the past few years I put a, about half of it back on. And just uh, last month I took a look at myself in the mirror and I thought, you know, you're you're getting a gut again there, Joel. And I made a decision. 
and, and that's really where it starts. All change begins with a decision, and that decision usually takes place when the pain of staying the same becomes greater than the pain of change. Mm-hmm. I wasn't feeling well. I felt like my blood sugar was, you know, getting to a place where mm, if I keep this up with the sugar and the complex carbs, I might make myself ill. And I didn't like that. And I don't want that. So I said, you know what? It would be a lot less painful for me to cut out eating some of this food and move my body more. And uh, in the past couple of weeks or so, I've dropped like 10 pounds and I'm feeling better already. But it didn't happen because I said, I'm going to try to lose weight. It happened because I said, I am now from this moment forward going to eat better and move my body more. And when you have a decision, you can already see the end. It's like Stephen Covey says in The Habits of Highly uh, Successful People, begin with the end in mind. And so I knew when I started this that, oh, I'm not going to try to lose weight. I am going to lose weight. And here's what I'm going to do. So the battle plan is in place. Yoda was right. There is no try, only do. And you have to do. Take, you have to take action. But you have the power to do that. Is your situation painful with you know uh, your your physical being? Is it painful with the job that you don't like? Is it painful with uh, you know sacrificing yourself for a career? What pain are you experiencing? You might be afraid to to do something different, but the odds are when you make a change and decide to, you'll actually have less pain. Mm-hmm. And it's so well said when you say that when the when the pain of same is greater than the pain of change. Mm-hmm. That's when we change. Yeah. You know, there's there's this old joke. I, I, I'm not a, a good joke rememberer, but this one I've known for decades now, and it's how many psychologists does it take to change a light bulb? Well, the answer is one, but the light bulb has to want to change. <laughs> right. And that's the truth. You have to want to change. And this is why New Year's resolutions don't work. Oh, it's New Year's. It's a new beginning. I need to make a change. I'm going to try, fill in the blank, to quit smoking, to lose weight, to spend more time with my guys. No, you don't try. You do. And if you're not ready to do, if you're not in the place mentally, emotionally, where you're able to say, I have decided this is what I am doing, then the odds are your trying is setting you up for failure. Yes, yes. And then it makes it harder the next time. Yep, yep, it does. And people start to lose hope. And But let's uh, change gears here. I want to talk, first we talk about diets. Now people are going to think we're talking about finance. But I want to talk about leverage. And you, you write that the key to getting things done is is summed up in one word, which is leverage. And can you explain what you mean when you are urging readers to find the highest leverage activities for their goals in order to go farther and faster? Well, I'm a big believer in working smart, not hard. You know, my successes have not come from busting a hump. Now, I've spent time doing that, but those, again, have led to moderate successes at best and most often failures. And so working smarter, not harder, and and leveraging means being aware of where your strengths are, sourcing out that which 
you know, you don't do well, which could mean hiring somebody. It could mean partnering with somebody that, you know, doesn't cost you money, just has you sharing. And I have had multiple joint ventures with others that I, you know, I couldn't have had the success that I had without leveraging a relationship with somebody who could help me get where I wanted to go. And, and helping others is, you know, the best way to do that. If you can bring value to others, you'll find that value comes back around to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you talk about how, another great analogy, working smart means looking for snowballs that are already near the top of the mountain, mm. only requiring a little effort to gain the movement that turns to momentum. And in my mind, it's like there's a continuum. And on one extreme is the hustle and grind, which is, you know, I see it almost as a end of its end of itself. It's They think that's what they're supposed to be doing. And the other extreme is working smart. Absolutely. I just, uh, the, uh, again, I started with nothing, just like everybody else starts with nothing. And the things that took place that contributed to my success weren't given to me, but my eyes were open for them. You have to be open. You can't say, okay, here's what I'm going to do and this is how I'm going to do it. I mean, that's all there is to it. You have to be prepared to shift and to pivot and to change, you know, the direction that you're going to working with others, to showing up regularly. Uh, and, And what it really amounts to, Doug, is the right email at the right time. The, the right phone call, going to the right event, but you don't always know what the right one is. And so being present and, you know, scanning the horizon for, you know, what I call uh, doors or windows that are anywhere from wide open to just, you know, a crack open. And I kind of look into opportunities that way. There's some people that are like, if you want something, you have to beat that door down to get it. Okay. There are way more doors and windows that are open a crack or all the way to wide open for you to explore. Why go bang your head against this one that appears to be locked? That obstacle doesn't need to be beat down. There's other ways to accomplish what you want, maybe more naturally than you ever imagined. Yeah. You mentioned showing up and you mentioned earlier about attending events is so important. Woody Allen said that I think he said that success in business, uh, success in life, 80, 80% of success in life is showing up. Mm-hmm. So, so explain how that's related to the fun formula and, and serendipity and why you think uh, you say that really attending events seems to be one of the most underrated things. Oh, yeah. People don't want to spend a few dollars and they don't want to be away from the office for a few days and they totally miss out that, you know, your business is not about your product or service. And I know that's going to catch a few people off guard. Like, wait, oh, what? Oh, yeah, what? it really. It's not about selling your product or service. Your business is about serving people. And you, the channel, the conduit for serving them is with a product or service that you offer. But ultimately, you're serving people. And when you are going to events and showing up, you have the opportunity to ask questions. You have the opportunity for serendipity, for chance encounters. I can't tell you how many times going to an event led to an opportunity that I did not know was there, that I didn't go looking for. You know, often people go, okay, I'm going to go to this event for this strategic reason and I'm going to make, you know, 40 contacts and I'm going to find 10 leads and I'm going to make two sales. Oh my gosh, make my head explode. No pressure there. How about I'm interested in the, what they're talking about at this event. I'm going to go 
and I'm going to see what happens. I'm just going to talk to people. I'm going to ask questions. I'm going to let opportunity come to me. I'm going to have an in, create an environment that stuff can happen. And I've had seven-figure deals come as a result of just showing up. Never imagined what was going to happen before I went to this event, but stuff happens. And we're talking before uh, I was a, a name, whatever that means, before a few people knew me, you know, this type of thing would happen. And if I was starting over today and I get this question frequently and I didn't have the track record that I have and I didn't have the contacts that I have, how would I go about starting over my business? I would go to events that interest me, period. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it reminds me, uh, you and uh, Ian Cleary are the ones I hear a lot about where you'll go to an event and you might not even go to any of the talks Mm because you're just talking to people out in the hallways. I don't go to talks. The only time I go to talks is if it's a friend that I want to support you know, in particular, maybe they haven't, you know, spoken much and, and I want to be there to support them or if it's my own talk because I have to be in the room for my own talks. Oh, that's right. But yeah. <laughs> if I didn't have to be there for my own talks, I wouldn't be there because I've heard it all. I know, you know, I know everything the guy's going to say, but I spend my time in the hallways and in the lounge, you know, in the restaurant and, and I'm just, I'm hanging out with, um, you know, friends. I'm making new friends. I'm just opening myself up to, uh, you know what's going to happen? Yeah, it's true. And one one uh, one year, I was um, I went to a, a conference in uh, Boston, inbound conference. Yeah, and, and you know who I met there? Can't imagine. <laughs> Joel Com. Yeah, I, and true. I got a, I got a picture with him too. So uh, you it's never true. know, listener. You never know who you're going to get to meet. Just uh, seeing people out on the out on the out on the floor there. So, uh, Joel, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? Boy, you know, I hope they would evaluate where they are in in their life and their career and ask themselves, am, am I happy? Not, am I making enough money? Am I happy? Am I bringing value to the world in the way which is personally fulfilling for me? And if not, you know, maybe it's time for a change. And, and different people are going to take away different things from this book, Doug, because it's really written in a way that anybody could understand. In fact, this is something you could give to your high schoolers and, and college students to read because if you can help them before the messages of the world and the materialism get to them, before they take the bait, which is going to lead them down an unfulfilling road, then this is the way to do it. I see this as a great graduate book. I see it as a great book for people who are entrepreneurs or small business people just getting started in their business or they're already into their business and they want to evaluate where they are or or perhaps you've already had great success in your business and, and you want to know what's next for you. You might even be retired and going, how do I bring more satisfaction? to my life and my work. And the fun formula has all of those groups in mind. Yes. And uh, my son graduated from college this month and he's going to be getting (laughs) a copy of this. But I want to say that your answer is so accurate because before we started the recording, I was joking about how when I started reading this, I was starting to think to myself, "Ooh." I wish I hadn't started reading this <laughs> because because <laughs> it really got me thinking and and there's a happy ending and and but it, it was really um, it got me thinking it kind of made me reexamine things and of course we never want to do that but then I felt good I'm, I'm glad I did it so thank you Joel Com so 
Are there any recent or upcoming books that you recommend or looking forward to reading? I know you, you rub elbows with all the authors out there. Uh, you know, what's really funny is I've been so steeped in my own book and in this podcast that I'm doing, the cryptocurrency oh, world right. yeah. has totally enthralled me that I'm I'm spending all of my time learning about blockchain and crypto and recording shows with Travis Wright. And so I couldn't even tell you what's on the horizon. I need to get past this this book launch. I have a feeling it's going to lead to um, you know a lot of speaking and, and touring around. And uh, I know there's good stuff happening out there, but I, I tend to consume most of my content with the spoken word these days. I listen to podcasts way more than I read. Oh, good. Well, then let's mention Travis Wright's book, Digital Sense. Yeah, great book. Him and uh, his co-author, Chris Snook, yeah. read the, uh, wrote that book but two years ago, I want to say. It's yeah. still selling beautifully. Travis is a, a leading marketing technologist, You know, does keynotes at the MarTech conferences, and uh, he and Snook really got their finger on the pulse of uh, how digital is impacting our lives and our marketing and our businesses, and, and I highly recommend that you know go to wherever fine books are sold and, uh, and grab a copy of uh, digital sense. Yeah. So, Joel, how best can listeners learn more about you and this latest book? So the book has its own site with a $100 worth of early buyer bonuses. Uh, it actually releases June 5th, but you can get some bonus videos. You can get part of the audio book, a bonus webinar. Go to Fun Formula Book. Dot com and uh, order the hard cover. It for some reason Amazon is listing the soft cover, but the soft cover doesn't actually come out on June fifth, even though it says it does. So the publisher is trying to work with them to fix that. But order the hard cover, and then on funformulabook.com, you put in your order number, and you'll get instant access to uh, to these bonuses. And of course, this makes a great gift. Order a bunch of copies and hand them out. The book itself, when you see the cover, I insisted that since this is a business book, I didn't want it to look like all the rest of the business books. And when people see it, they will know this cover is like a party in a book. It's so exciting and so fun that it's just going to pop off the shelf. And I think anybody who sees it, it's going to be like, the fun formula? I, what is that? I got to have it. And yeah. so I, I can't wait to hear from people. I'm, I'm of course, at Joel Com, J-O-E-L-C-O-M-M, on all the social profiles, and I would love to hear people's feedback. Yeah, so if you're listening to this right now, you can go on Twitter and uh, tweet at Joel and thank him for being on the Marketing Book Podcast. I'm Marketing Book on Twitter if you want to add me to the conversation. And Joel will also include a link to your, in your show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com, a link to your LinkedIn profile. And for the listener... Because I want to make it really easy. If you're listening on your smartphone right now and you've subscribed to this show on your podcast player, which makes it very easy, uh, a player like iTunes or I guess it's Apple Podcasts now or Stitcher or Google Play Music, all these links to everything we've been talking about can be found by going to this episode on that podcast player and clicking on the show notes link. So the name of the book is The Fun Formula, How Curiosity, Risk-Taking, and Serendipity Can Revolutionize How You Work. The author is Joel Com. Joel, thank you very much for coming back to the Marketing Book Podcast. Thanks, Doug. Appreciate it. 
And that closes the book on episode 179 of the Marketing Book Podcast. For more, check out this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or other helpful resource, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction. My name again is Douglas Burdett. Special thanks to our sponsor, Content Marketing World 2018. To support the Marketing Book Podcast and get the absolute lowest price on attending, go to contentmarketingworld.com and use the promo code MARKETINGBOOK. You'll find a link to Content Marketing World at marketingbookpodcast.com. And please join us next time as we welcome Bernadette Jiwa back to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about her newest book, Story Driven. You don't need to compete know who you are. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.